you want to open your Bibles and go on your mobile device through a Bible app to 1 Samuel 22, we're continue in our study of the life of David. This is week three, looking at the life of David in the Old Testament. He lived a thousand years before Jesus walked on planet Earth. And last week, we looked at his great victory over Goliath, but really the contrast between the fear of King Saul and the faith of King David. Now, the quietest place on earth is in Redmond, Washington, in an anechoic chamber there. This is a a room that has been designed to be the quietest spot. At about zero decibels, the human hearing can hear sound. This room is at minus 20 decibels, so it actually absorbs sound. There is no echo. There is no noise. Those who spend time in there alone say that within the first four or five minutes, you can hear your heart beating as if it is this loud noise in the room. At about nine to 10 minutes, people say they begin to hear their blood actually flowing in their bodies. Once they've been in there 25 to 30 minutes, they say you move just slightly and you can hear your joints creaking and your bones moving in this space. No one has been able to stay in this space longer than one hour because they say the sound or the lack of sound, this silence, this silence is overwhelming. Now, how many of you say, in spite of all that, I'd love that kind of sound just for a few moments, that kind of silence and lack of sound? Probably many of us. Well, today I wanna talk about surrounded by silence. There are times in our lives we go through things that are quite noisy, There's a lot of energy consumed, a lot of time given to things and problems and struggles, and we go through things, and then we find ourselves alone, surrounded by silence, and we are gripped by the very fact that we even experience silence from God. And so we don't have the answers we're looking for. We don't have the resolution we need to some of the things we face. So we we find ourselves surrounded by silence. And this is what we're gonna see in the experience and life of David today when he comes to one of the lowest points ever in his life emotionally. He's completely surrounded by silence, even the very silence of God himself. Now we left off last week, as I mentioned, with the, the great story of scripture where Goliath is defeated by David, and that was such a critical point in Israel's history. It had been a time of national crisis, and King Saul had not lived up to the expectations of the people, and he had not lived up to God's call in his life as the king. And, and so in fear, he shrunk back from the giant. When David himself, this young man, this young boy, he steps up in faith and God uses him to conquer Goliath and it stops the Philistines from squashing the Israelites and moving forward and expanding their kingdom. Now you can imagine that there's great celebration in Israel. This young shepherd boy from Bethlehem becomes the hero. If there'd been a People magazine, he would've been on the cover week after week after week after week. As a matter of fact, Jonathan, Saul's son, the prince, the apparent heir to the throne, that we know God had already anointed David to replace Saul one day, not Jonathan, because of Saul's rebellion and waywardness toward God, his lack of faith. But Jonathan is endeared to David. They become best of friends. And after his defeat of Goliath, Jonathan gives to David his royal robe as prince. He gives him his armor. He gives him his weapons, 
You can read about this in chapters 18, 19, 20, and 21. I want to tell you what happens in those chapters that brings us to this point of 1 Samuel 22. Part of it is not only Jonathan, but the nation celebrates David, and there begins to be the sense that he is the heir apparent just because he's the hero and the great victor. Saul puts him in charge of all of his armies, and he leads specialized forces and raids against the Philistines and other enemies of Israel. He becomes the the son-in-law to the king. Jonathan is his best friend. Things are going great. As a matter of fact, we hear that the young maidens sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Wherever he goes, there's noise of people shouting out David's name, singing his praise. He's on top of the world after he defeats Goliath. But Saul begins to get jealous. Saul begins to develop a resentment toward this young man. And even one time while David is playing the harp to calm Saul, as he had done even before, Saul gets so angry and so jealous, he throws a spear at David. He does it a second time. And David says, okay, there's not going to be a third time. I'm out of here. And he runs. And you can read in chapters 18 through 21 how he runs to his family, to his wife, to the prophets, to Samuel himself who had anointed him to be the next king years earlier. He runs everywhere. He finally even runs to the priests in Nob where the tabernacle of the Lord was at the time. And, and everywhere he goes, Saul's men pursue him. And, and over weeks, perhaps months of time, trying to get away from Saul, even Jonathan thinks he can help David, but in the end he realizes he can't. And David runs everywhere, and there's no place to turn. And he finally ends up in a strange place, in a place called Gath, the capital of the Philistines, the hometown of Goliath the giant. Now, now think about how desperate he's become. He is now turning to his enemies, and he shows up and wants to meet with King Achish and, uh, of the Philistines and and he says, I'd like to meet with him. And the servants come into Achish and they say, King uh, David, the mighty warrior of Israel, he's, he's at the door. He would like to speak to you. And King Achish says, you've got to be kidding me. The mighty man of valor of Israel who defeated us through his, his victory over Goliath. He, he, and all that he's put us through in these last several years since that victory, there's no way he's at the door. Well, while they're gone, David thinks, this is crazy for me to be here looking for help from my enemies. This is just... Uh, he has second thoughts and he decides to act like a madman, like he's crazy. And so he starts scratching on the walls and foaming at the mouth and spitting things out of his mouth. And they bring him in before Achish, the king. And, uh, and he looks at him and says, get him out of here. There's no way this is David, the mighty man of war. He's grown a beard by this point. He's looking disheveled and desperate. He, he, he's acting crazy. He's got drool in his beard. And we then come to 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. If you have it there in your Bibles. Right at that low point, as the king of the Philistines says, get him out of here, we read, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. He escapes the cave of Adullam. Now, scholars believe we have to pause there because there's a lot that happens between this opening sentence of verse one and the second sentence of verse one. Perhaps there's months of time here, as much as four to six months of time occurs at the end of that opening sentence. Now, let me explain to you that when David leaves Gath and goes to Adullam, 
the, the path he would take, the only way to go from Gath of the Philistines to the cave of Adullam in the hills of Judea is to pass through a valley called the Valley of Elah. That's where maybe four or five years earlier he had defeated Goliath. Can you imagine? He's desperate. He's on the run. There's no place to hide in Israel. Saul's trying to kill him. He's got his soldiers trying to kill him. The prince can't help him. His wife can't help him. The priest can't help him. He's on the run. He passes through the Valley of Elah on the way to the cave of Adullam. Imagine his thoughts as he would stop in the middle of that valley and remember that day and all the songs that were sung of his, of his victory and the heroic chants that came out to him. And now here he is, alone, having drooled in his beard before his enemies. And he's gonna go into this cave and spend three or four months inside this cave system. It's gonna be a place of silence after all the noise and celebration and excitement of his victory. I want us to see here as we talk about being surrounded by silence and we examine David's experience in the cave that when you find yourself surrounded by silence, intentionally lean into that silence to hear from God. When you're at that point where you're all alone and, and you're just surrounded by silence and it seems like no one can help you and no, no voice is there, not even the voice or whisper of God, you have to lean into that silence. Now, there are two ways to deal with being alone, like David's alone. One is to allow ourselves to go into deeper self-pity and to get more isolated in our emotions and in our thoughts and to go deeper into that pit. The other is to see this as a time of solitude, to lean into the silence and experience and hear from God in a unique way. And I think we see through David's example how we lean into that silence so we experience God, not how we drift further into isolation, but we experience a season of solitude before the Lord. There are three psalms that are ascribed to David while he's in the cave of Adullam. The first one is Psalm 142. If you go there, we're going to see the, in this psalm the, the early expression of David to God. He writes it down, and we have it recorded in Scripture. Scholars believe this is the first psalm he wrote in the cave of Adullam. I want you to hear the tone of his voice and you get a sense of this first step into intentionally leaning into the silence that surrounds us, those lonely, broken moments. Psalm 142, listen as David expresses his heart to the Lord. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord. For mercy, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. Listen to this statement. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. By the way, that word refuge right here, in this psalm is the word adulam. The very name of the cave is the Hebrew word refuge. He says, I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Maybe some of you feel that way right now in the circumstances and situation you're in, what you're going through in your family, in your life, in your career. You feel like nobody cares. 
I cry to you, Lord. I, I say, you are my refuge. You are my adulam, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Have you ever cried that out to the Lord? Have you cried that out to the Lord the last week, the last month, the last year? Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Do you hear the tone of David here? If you're going to lean into the silence to experience God and to actually hear from him in the silence, the first thing you do is you tell God how you feel. Tell God how you feel. David expresses his heart here. David expresses his heart here. And when you tell God how you feel, express how much you hurt. You hear him? Bring my, uh, verse seven, set me free from my prison. Verse six, I'm in desperate need. Verse four, no one is concerned for me. No one cares for my life. Express how much it hurts. Tell God it stinks. Now, this is hard for some people. Some of us raised in church or in settings or maybe after you came to Jesus, you were so grateful for what he's done in your life that you feel like, I just can't tell God how I feel. It just seems rude. You can't talk to God about your raw emotions. Actually, that's what the book of Psalms is all about. Matter of fact, David writes what are called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms is where David prays things like, may Saul's wife be a widow. May Saul's children be orphans in the street. You say, that's horrible. How can anyone talk to God that way? Do you know what happens? We'll see this in a couple of weeks, that on a couple of occasions where David has a chance to kill Saul, he doesn't. Why not? Because he poured out the venom of his heart, the emotions of his feelings before the Lord, and, and the Lord absorbed those things, and the Lord processed that with David and allowed David to express himself. You can tell God your worst thoughts, your deepest feelings. Tell God how you feel. Tell him it stinks. You're angry with him. You don't like this. It's messy. Allow your heart to pour out the pain. Express how much you hurt. Express how sad you feel. You sense the heaviness of his heart? And express how lonely you are. For me, this week, in preparing this message, those phrases, no one is concerned for me, in verse four. No one cares for my life, again, in verse four. My heart has been praying for anyone who would hear this message this week, weekend, either here in the room or online, who feels that way. You can express that to God. Tell him how lonely you are. Can I encourage you just this week, if you find yourself surrounded by silence, alone in a cold, dark cave, feeling like you have nowhere to turn, there's no one who's gonna hear you, spend five or 10 minutes every day this week just pouring out the emotion of your heart, the fears, the frustrations, the pain, the loneliness, the sadness. Tell God how you feel. That's how you lean into the solitude of silence so you can experience God. Tell God how you feel. But don't get stuck there. I mean, some people say, well, I've just told God how I feel. And they're stuck there. David does something in his time there. We don't know if it's six weeks, two months, or three months later, but we know and believe that the, even the oldest of scholars, going back to the time of Jesus, the Jewish scholars who looked at the Old Testament said the second psalm that David wrote in the cave of Adullam 
is Psalm 57. If you turn back there to Psalm 57, I want to read this, and I want to ask you if you sense a tone change in David's heart and his life. Psalm 57, verse 1. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Maybe there's some animals growling in that cold, dark cave. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Now listen to verse five. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn, verse nine. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. He can't even see the heavens and the skies. He's in a cold, silent, dark cave. Verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Do you sense a tone change a little bit there? From Psalm 142? Psalm 142, he just tells his pain. What do you sense is the difference here? Just, just shout it out. What's the difference here in his tone? Anything beginning to emerge different? Gratitude, hope, praise, worship. There is worship and praise going on here. His tone is changing. See, it's okay to tell God how you feel, but don't get stuck there you got to turn the corner and begin to intentionally praise even when your circumstances haven't changed, even when you don't feel like it. You align your heart to God through worship and praise. Tell God how you feel. That's how you lean into the silence to experience solitude in a sweet way so that you can hear from God. And then you praise God intentionally for who he is. Because while you have been surrounded by silence in your cold, dark cave, the God of the universe, the God who created you and sustains you and all the universe has not changed one bit. And we need the realignment of our hearts in worship to him. Praise God for who he is. That's, that's what you get out of Psalm 57. Worship is not about you, it's about God. Verse one, or Psalm 142, he's talking about his pain, his hurt, his loneliness, his sadness. He expresses that to God. But then you have to intentionally, even when you don't feel like it, you begin to worship in the silence, in the tears, in the darkness. You begin to worship God. It's not about you, it's about God. We didn't gather here in this room today because it's about us. We gathered to worship, to align our hearts to God, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Creator, our Sustainer. We came to worship Him. Worship is not about you, it's about God. I meet people who think they're gonna align God to their circumstances when we need to align ourselves in the midst of our circumstances to our God. Second thing is, worship is not about what God has done, it's about who God is. 
He's talking not about gratitude or gratefulness or thanks for the things God has done. He's not saying, thank you, God, for, for this dark cave. Or He's not worshiping God based on that. He's actually praising God for who he is. Some people have this attitude in worship that, that, that we come in and one week when things have gone really good, our circumstances are good, then we just sing with all of our hearts and we really are into it and we worship and praise and we pray, we respond to the word. You know, we're really into it because life has been good this week or the last month. But actually we come in and we worship our God the same way we did the week before, the week before, the week before, we will next week and the next week and the next week because our God has not changed. Our circumstances go like this, but our God is like this. And when we worship based on our emotions, we're then worshiping our circumstances, not our God. It's okay to tell God how you feel, but then recognize you gotta praise him for who he is. Thirdly, worship is not about what God should do or else. It's about what you will do no matter what. I mean, people say, you know, if God doesn't resolve this in the next three months, then I, I'm just gonna, and they make these ultimatums. If God doesn't do this or else, that's not worship. Worship is no matter what happens, the foundations of the earth fall apart. No matter what happens, Job said, even if my skin falls off my bones, even if my life is taken from me, I know my Redeemer lives and I'm gonna worship him. It's about what you will do no matter what. Look what he says here in verse nine. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. What nations, what people? You're alone in a cold, dark, silent cave. What are you talking about, David? He's saying, look, I'm gonna worship you. And I'm gonna worship you no matter what. And eventually, when I get out of this cold, dark cave and, and Saul's no longer pursuing me and everybody's gonna know, all the nations and all the people are gonna know it's my God that I rested in and trusted in. It's my God that I worship and praise. Thirdly, worship is not about what you get. It, fourthly, excuse me, worship is not about what you get. It's about what you give. Worship is not about what you get. In the American church, we have slipped into a consumer rather than a contributor mindset when it comes to church and worship. Forgive me if I step on your toes here because this might be something of your mindset. Do you come into the worship here at Calvary to tune into the broadcast to get something or do you tune in to give something? David is in this expression talking about what he's gonna to give to God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the, the, the harp and lyre, these instruments together. I'm gonna to awaken these things here in the silence and the dark. I'm gonna play my heart before you, Lord. I'm gonna give you praise to the nations and the peoples. My heart is steadfast, God. It hasn't changed. It's focused on you. I'm here to give praise to you, to invest. I'm gonna invest even now and after this cave experience, I'm going to invest in the things that bring you glory and honor. Worship is about giving of ourselves our whole lives. We give ourselves as we sing. Thank you for those of you who sing heartily to the Lord. You give your voice. When you show up in a setting like this, you, you can think, well, it's not important. Your presence 
is a gift to others around you. It's an encouragement that we're in this journey, but we, we align together each week on the first day of the week on Sunday to give praise and worship to God, to encourage one another, to respond to God's word in obedience, to give our obedience to God. This is about time, talents, and treasure. Do you show up on this campus to say, what am I gonna get? Do you drive home saying, well, I didn't get this, I didn't get that, and our kids didn't get this and didn't get that? Or do you say, what can we invest? What can we do of our time and our abilities and our gifts? What can we do financially to invest in what God's doing in our local church? That's a part of worship. We talk about that when we come to that giving moment. We, I say all the time, it's, it's about giving back to God. It's a part of worship. Worship is not about what we get. It's about what we give. Do you in any other way serve? Do you, do you invest in any other way other than showing up to get what you can get? Do you give? You know, as we've come out of that COVID experience, we have people coming to us and young people coming. We had some of the highest numbers in our early childhood since before COVID last weekend with zero to four-year-olds. And I can tell you, we need, we need people to serve, to give it their time and their abilities in all kinds of children and student ministries. As we complete that 1100 project, our Vacation Bible School is gonna have more kids this summer than it's ever had, and we have this opportunity to serve, and we need more people to serve. If you're in middle school, high school, or you're an adult, we need folks who are gonna be willing to jump in and serve June 26th to June 30th from 9 a.m. to uh, noon, as we're gonna have uh, preschoolers and elementary age kids here, and they're gonna have craft time and game time and worship time and Bible lesson time. And we've got the teachers we need and those kind of leaders, but we need some folks who are gonna be there with the kids to help them move from place to place and make sure they're safe and having a great time and learning about Jesus. So we need more people uh, students and adults, and you'll go through the procedures of our policies and all of that and the proper screening and everything to serve. But can I just say, if you're willing to serve during that week, I learned this week we still need some folks to do that. You can just reach out to one of us as pastors. Pastor Steve Day will be in the lobby where I normally stand after the service. You can speak to him there. I'm gonna be over at the Welcome to Calvary reception with folks who are newer to Calvary in the atrium, but he'll be there. You can speak to him. You can text the word serve to the number 58568. Just type in the number 58568 and text the word serve as the message if you're interested in serving in VBS. Or you say, well, I can't be there that week of VBS, but I, I, I hear you that part of my worship, my response to who God is, is to give, to invest, not just get. I'd like to serve in some way, even if it's not with VBS, but you're interested in, in investing your time and your abilities and how God has wired you for his glory in various ministries here, but even beyond children's ministry. And just text the word serve to the number 58568. See, David has this incredible, intentional focus of leaning into the silence that surrounds him in the darkness by telling God how he feels, but then praising God for who he is, ready to invest, to give back to the God who has called him to walk with him. Praise God for who he is. After you tell God how you feel, 
And then we believe you pick up again then in 1 Samuel 22, if you want to flip back there to 1 Samuel 22, we read that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. We pause and we believe there's three to four months there while David writes Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. He pray, tells God how he feels and praises God for who he is. But something happens here, and we believe the third Psalm was written after what happens here in the narrative of 1 Samuel 22. When his brothers and his father's house, the last part of verse 1, heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, what's happening here? David spends these three, four, maybe up to six months alone in the cave of Adullam, pouring his heart out before God, worshiping God, and his family hears, hey, you know where David is? He's hiding out in the cave of Adullam. And they live in that Judean hill country, so they say, well, let's go find him. And they go, and they move into the cave with him. But then others hear that his family's gone down here, and notice the kinds of people it says come to him, those who are in distress, in debt, or discontented. Exactly what you want when you're going through your own cold, dark cave experience, loneliness, where you find God silent, is a bunch of losers to show up at your doorstep. Some estimate that these 400 men and their wives and their families, there's more than 400 here, maybe a couple thousand, that they move into the cave with him. Some scholars believe for another four to six months, others believe this could be more like a three to four year period where they're hiding out in the cave of Adullam from Saul until they move to a town of Ziklag. It's it's over a decade that he's on the run from King Saul before Saul's death and then the path that leads him toward being the king. And so you, you get this sense here as you hear this that God sends in people who need him to invest in them. Psalm 34, we believe, is what David says to those who join him in the cave. By the way, if you go to our Facebook here, Calvary's Facebook page, or you go to uh, aimyourheart.com, which is one of the things you can get on the QR code that you scan there, aimyourheart.com, I've been putting up resources on that site that kind of are things I didn't include in the message, but the week after I'm including resources that kind of help with the story that we looked at or the principles that were taught the week before, aimyourheart.com. And on aimyourheart.com and our Calvary Facebook page, we have a video, about a five-minute video of some guys just a couple of years ago who went into the cave of Adullam, and you can see kind of what it's like and how could there be thousands of people maybe living in there. They'll, they'll explain that in a video. It's pretty cool. You can check out the cave of Adullam there on our Facebook or on aimyourheart.com. Psalm 34, listen now as David speaks to all these people who are in trouble who come to him for help. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Hear him calling them. Let's lift up the Lord together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Uh, David, you're still on the run from Saul. He's still trying to kill you. You're still living in a dark cave. And now you've got a bunch of people who have more problems than you have showing up. What do you mean? Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called out, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. 
He's not physically out of his troubles, but he is mentally and emotionally, as, as he has t- told God how he feels and expressed his emotions, his hurt, his loneliness, his sadness, his pain to God, and then chose to praise God for who God is, not about his circumstances, but who God is and worship him. Something's been happening and God has been speaking to him and ministering to his heart. God has met him in this darkness and in silence. And he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Now listen to what he says. Verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Saul's still chasing him. He's still probably got spit in his beard from a few months back. He's still in the silence and the darkness. He's got all these other people now. But he says, I want to tell you, even in the silence, even in the darkness, my God is good. My God's goodness does not depend on my circumstances. My God's goodness depends upon who he is and how he meets me in the darkness and in the silence. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is is good, David says to them. Blessed is the one who takes refuge, Adullam, in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He said, I've experienced the goodness of God. You can too. Jump down to verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. In the silence, in the darkness. As David leaned into the silence, he experienced God. God met him there, felt the Lord close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. After being the hero, after having everybody sing about him, call out his name wherever he went, all the noise, he ended up drooling in his beard to his enemies. He's in this place where he's surrounded by darkness and silence. He was crushed in spirit, but he says the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 22, the last verse of this psalm, the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge, Adullam, in him will be condemned. He says this this cave, Adullam, is not my refuge. My refuge is my God. How do you lean into the silence in this third stage of leaning in intentionally to the silence to experience God? Yes, you tell God how you feel. You praise God for who he is. And thirdly, you serve God by helping others. You serve God by helping others. You lift up your eyes and look at the people God brings into your path. Now, you could ask me six weeks from now. You could ask me two years from now. Hey, what what do we learn about David leaning into the silence in the cave of Adullam, I would say we learned that we gotta tell God how we feel, praise God for who he is, and serve God by helping others. I've probably preached this message seven or eight times here at Calvary over the years, and some of you are going, I think I've, I think I've heard this before. <laughs> Telling it with some different emphasis and, and, and things like that, but why is this so important? Well, it's part of the life of David, but also these three things are what I do when I feel like no one cares when the circumstances are overwhelming, when I feel like I'm surrounded by silence, I'm blanketed with the darkness, I I go and I tell God how I feel, I praise God for who he is, and I lift up my eyes and say, okay, who do I minister to today? Who have you put in my path now? Serve God by helping others. What does that mean? Well, there's some things you need to know about what God's gonna do when, when he brings a bunch of people in need to you while you're still in need yourself. God often sends us losers long before we feel like winners. 
Don't wait till you feel like you're on top of the world. You've conquered the silence. You've heard from God. You're out of the darkness. Your troubles are over. No. You minister to the people God brings in your path today. God often expects us to give the answers we have long before we get the answers we want. David doesn't know what's gonna happen with Saul. He doesn't know how he's gonna become king. He doesn't have all the answers he wants about life. But he goes to these people who he's ministering to and he's serving them, serving God by serving them, and he says, taste and see the Lord is good. I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you the answers I've discovered in my experience in the darkness and silence with God. You don't have to have all the answers you want to be able to serve others and give them some of the basic answers they need. Thirdly, God often speaks through those we help long before he speaks through those who help us. I go to a counselor to get help in my life. Many of you go to a counselor, a therapist, a pastor, a friend. I have friends who speak into my life. There are people who can help us. And sometimes we think we can't help anybody else until we have been helped by the people who help us and that that's the only place we can get help. You know what I learned a long time ago? When I show up in a hospital, visit someone, or I'm, I'm officiating at a funeral, or I'm talking to someone or praying with them in the lobby, I, I find that many of the people who I'm trying to help actually help and bless me more than I think I help and bless them. When you serve, you find out that the very people you serve is an avenue by which God helps and encourages and serves you and builds you. God often speaks through those we help long before he speaks through those who help us. And finally, God often brings us people to serve long before he shows us the path to follow. That even happens for us as a church, I just told you. We have people showing up and kids and children and students showing up for ministries faster than we expected, and so we're seeking to minister to them, and I, I sometimes, as, as a part of the leadership, I go, okay, God, why didn't you let us get all the path together and all the things together and all the programs together and all the people together and all the volunteers are gonna serve together before you brought us the people in need? But there's a principle here. God always, in his providence, gives us opportunities to serve, and then he provides the resources of dollars and, times and time and energy and, and gifting. God often brings his people to serve long before he shows us the path to follow. David's probably still scratching his head going, I, okay, I'm still in this cold, dark cave. Now I got maybe 1,500, 2,000 people that I'm their leader now. I, I'm not king of Israel yet, and I don't know what that path looks like. Okay, God, how am I getting out of this cave into the throne? And how am I getting around the Saul situation? And I, he doesn't see the path he's supposed to follow. But God gives him people to minister. What I love about Jesus, we're very much told that Jesus had the cross, the cross, the cross in his sight all the time. But he didn't say, hey, lady, don't touch my garment. I'm going to the cross. Hey, leper, don't come around me. I'm going to the cross. Hey, Lazarus, it's too bad you died, but I'm going to the cross. He's got his eye on the cross. He has, he has a path he's gonna follow, but people were never an obstacle to him. They were always a part of the path. And in our lives, we need to look around people in our everyday lives, in our neighborhood, at home, in our workplace, in our church. God often brings his people to serve long before he shows us the path. So this week, what would I encourage you to do? I encourage you to take some time, especially if you find yourself in a cold, dark cave experience. Tell God how you feel. But don't just stay there. Do that every day, yes. But every day then say, but I will praise you. I will praise you. I will worship you. Read back Psalm 57 to the Lord. 
Tell God how you feel. Praise God for who he is. But then look around through the day. God may bring someone right outside your cold, dark, silent cave. When you're surrounded by silence, he may bring you someone who needs a kind word, a thoughtful act, something that lifts them up and helps them in the circumstances they're in. When you find yourself surrounded by silence, you can drift into deeper isolation or you can intentionally lean into the silence and experience solitude with God. You can hear from God as you tell God how you feel, praise God for who he is, and serve God by helping others. Are you leaning into the silence that surrounds you? Are you just trying to huddle back and drift into deeper isolation and loneliness? I came across this statement someone made. I love this. As you take those three things this week, and you just practice them in your own life, just think it through, tell God how you feel, praise God for you, serve God by helping others. Remember this, when you're going through difficulty and wonder where God is, why he is silent, remember that the teacher is always quietest during the test. He's preparing you. He was preparing David to become the great King David that we know about. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the incredible story in scripture of this great hero of the faith. Thank you that you include his heart cry, that you don't hide the, the heavy, dark times in the lives of the people that we can learn from, from their failures and their successes. Thank you for Psalm 142, Psalm 57, Psalm 34. Thank you for David's example of expressing his emotions, his pain, his hurt to God, of lifting God up in worship intentionally, even in the midst of that pain, that he looked around and how he could help others and how this helps us move deeper in our encounter and relationship with you, but it also helps us begin to be able to have the strength and courage to continue on to serve you, to bring honor and glory to you as we touch the lives of others. I pray for those who are right now surrounded by silence. Maybe they feel like they can't escape it. Help them to process this, to intentionally lean into that silence, to actually hear from you as David heard from you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.